Distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. I'm Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. And I'm Josh. I live in western Pennsylvania. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or help you better understand one that has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, and what we like and what we didn't. I tend to prefer looking at distros that would be kinder to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system such as Windows or Mac OS. Oh, I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. And I'm more of a Linux gamer and sysadmin ninja. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 41, recorded on March 22nd, 2023. For this episode, we are reviewing Endless OS 5.0 and PC Linux OS. Josh has left the show at this time due to job and other time constraints. We would love to welcome a new host reviewing distros from a sysadmin and or gaming aspects. Contact information will, of course, be given at the end of the show. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what we did this month. As mentioned last month, my wife and I got a new Moto G Stylus 5G 2022 phone each. It was interesting getting them set up as our Pixel 3a XL phones were running Calyx OS and not in the Google ecosystem, so we could not simply move our files. We did, however, manage to get them working with all our apps, photos, etc. saved and transferred. They were quite glitchy the first week or two, although they seem to have settled down a lot since. I am still using my Pixel for viewing and listening as the sound quality is considerably better. I have also just gotten a new Samson Q2U microphone and an EBXYA 2x2 sound box. I hope my track is easier for Tony to work with this time, and I hope you can hear the difference. I just heard from Bill today that my track on the latest Mintcast was smooth. The microphone came to me courtesy of the patrons of Full Circle Magazine. Because of this donation, I was able to go ahead and buy the sound box now rather than later. Anything exciting going on with you, Dale? I read through what I had previously written in my third GUI article and decided to rewrite about 50% of it. A good part of my time was spent watching videos and reading articles for research. It is easier to research the 1980s since it is more recent than my other two articles. I've wanted to replace my other computer desk in my office. It was part of a larger L-Disk that didn't survive the move last June. I was thinking of building something custom, and in my research, I found a neat company. They are called Pipe Decor. They use industrial pipes used in water and gas distribution. They offer clean, painted pipes and fittings, ones you can clean and paint yourself, and stained tabletops of different sizes. There are also many other racks, lamps, tables, etc. available. 
I was quite impressed and surprised with their products. I'm considering using one of the pre-built desks and getting the fittings to combine it with one of their smaller desks to make another L-shaped desk. I will include a link in the show notes for their website. I spent Super Bowl Sunday with a friend and his wife. I wasn't planning on watching it. This was intended as a joke I made with him. I asked him if he was having a Super Bowl party and inviting me. Now, he knows I'm not a fan of sports except for various auto racing, though I don't watch them much anymore. He called me on Saturday afternoon asking what time I wanted to come over on uh, Sunday. The team he wanted to win didn't. I'm not sure if the commercials were weird or if it's just me. I haven't watched broadcast television in five or six years. Yeah, the TV commercials were supposed to be weird. More people watch the Super Bowl for the commercials than for the game. In my Linux activities, I looked into how to use the DKMS drivers from System76 so I can use Solus Budgie on my Pangolin. I need them to be able to use the keyboard backlight and to change the colors. There are also some power management and other drivers. After chatting with a member on the Solus IRC channel, I would compile the modules into the kernel since Solus doesn't support DKMS. I also read about CLR Boot Manager that Solus uses from the Clear Linux project. It manages kernel updates and works much differently than other distros. The link for it will be in the show notes. This was more than I wanted to get into since Solus does things a little differently. Depending on my success, I will ask if they can include these in their default kernel since I will have done the documentation, development, and testing. I'm hoping they will, considering they offer NVIDIA binary driver, which requires the modules to be compiled to work with their kernel. I will look at this again when I have more time. I had an interesting rabbit hole jumping into the manual pages for Xorg. It's the X-Windowing system that we still use. I will mention the need for this in my review of PC Linux OS. I will include the link in the show notes to the documentation. So with that said, let's move on to updates. Updates, where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. Canonical released a 22.04.2 update on all their flavors, including updating the kernel. Bodhi 7 64-bit is now at Alpha 5, and they are only chasing one bug right now to the best of my knowledge. I have Alpha 4 with updates running on my T580 and Alpha 5 running on my desktop. The February edition of the Mint newsletter outlined what changes will be in Mint 21.2 and is worth reading. There's a link in the show notes. Triskwell 11.0 added 64-bit ARM and power architectures, in addition to having added 32-bit ARM in version 10, and remains completely Libre. Dale? Garuda has a new Raptor Eagle release on the 5th of March, 2023. They have a brand new theme for trigonized, referred to as DR460NIZED, more of the elite speak, mm-hmm. and many other major internal and usability changes. A few are the setup assistant rewritten in C++ and Qt. Garuda update has been updated, and Trackhut has replaced MKINTCPIO to generate the uh, initramfs. 
Blue Star Linux is having issues with its 32-bit release once again, citing unstable issues with Arch Linux 32, causing compilation issues. OpenSUSE, Tumbleweed, updated to Mesa 23.0.0, Flatpak 1.1.14.3, Plasma 5.27.1, x86 underscore 64 underscore v3, update, Crypt Setup 2.6.1, and updates for XFCE 4.18, OpenSUSE Leap 15.5 will be in beta soon, Red Core Linux Hardened 2301, codename Sirius, has been released. A few updates are Resync with Gen 2 Testing Tree, Kernel 6.1.12 LTS, Plasma 5.27.1, and LXQT 1.2.0. Zero Linux fixed the update tool and updated to Kernel 6.2.6 and Plasma 5.27.3. Ben Fitzpatrick, the developer of StormOS, is working on an LFS-based edition of StormOS. Debian has entered the hard freeze for version 12 codenamed Bookworm. Key packages from SID that are wanting to be included in the stable release must pass significant reviews. Packages that are not key to the OS and do not pose any issues for any other packages can be moved from SID to testing pending review. One of the key packages will be the inclusion of the 6.1 kernel, which is an LTS, long-term support release. This will be a much-needed upgrade from the 5.10, as the 6.1 includes updates for recent hardware. A new version of apt will be part of the Debian 12 release. It will provide better support for non-free software. In addition to apt, the Debian installer has been updated to better support non-free firmware. Debian 12 will be the first version to include non-free packages by default. Up until now, separate non-free ISOs were maintained by the Debian community. The Solus project continues to have some server issues. The main website is up, but the back-end servers that support the development and public forums, along with providing updates to installations, are still down. As of this writing on the 22nd of March, I am unable to update my computer. The lead dev, Beatrice, has been recovering from an illness, which has delayed attending to the server issues, including some bad weather. The last update from their Twitter account was dated the 27th of February. They were previously creating a new help center and some other backend changes. There will also be an introduction to their new org structure. Once everything has been restored, blog posts will update everyone on what happened and what has changed, and links to what I've mentioned will be in the show notes. On to beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. For this month, we had wanted to review BlendOS as a team. BlendOS is a new distro from the mind of Rudra Sarasvat and claimed to be current, modern, and able to use any and all package managers. Each of us had problems with it, and here are mine. I installed BlendOS with the Plasma desktop. The installation went well and it worked more than adequately until I tried to update it. It declared there was a package in need of updating and then stated it was not in the right form so it could not be updated. 
I mentioned it to Rudra. He noted it, but didn't get back to me at that time. Over a week later, it still could not be updated, so I'm guessing he's busy with other things. A system which cannot be updated cannot be reasonably reviewed. I should have put this in the show notes. I have spoken to Rudra since. He put BlendOS together the day before taking finals. He did ace the finals, and he's going to get back to work on BlendOS now. Dale? Well, I tried BlendOS with the XFC desktop, and it didn't go well. It used a custom installer. I couldn't get it to repartition the SSD to install alongside Cache OS. I keep it installed thinking two Arch-based distros would play well with one another. So I wiped the SSD and installed BlendOS as the only OS. It asks the regular questions, and then a script does the uh, remainder of the installation. On my first attempt, it failed towards the end of the installation with a vague OS number 3 error. I don't remember the actual wording as I thought I wrote it down. My second attempt failed with OS number 2 error. I have no clue what these mean. My third attempt was successful, but my successes ended there. I wanted to connect to my Wi-Fi hotspot, but I didn't see the connection manager applet. I did some searching and I saw that the connection manager was installed, except only in the terminal. So I used the NCURSES enabled terminal GUI to uh, connect to the uh, to my Wi-Fi hotspot. I then tried to install the GNOME Connection Manager package, which includes the applet with apt. It complained that no container was found. After looking through the very minimal documentation, none of the examples were working, so I tried using apt search, and it created the container, followed by my uh, search results. I was then able to install the package. I returned to the XFC desktop, and had no applet to add. I searched the file system and couldn't find that it was even installed. Well, I installed it again with the same result. I decided I was going to wipe the SSD and install the GNOME desktop since it was the suggested option for new users. As with my prior two attempts at installing failed, so did this install. That is when I gave up. In my opinion, this was needlessly too complicated. Rudra claims that this will stop you from distro hopping. I think the desire for distro hopping is not understood. For me, it is about learning how other distros are configured and function. It is the maintainer or the maintainer's vision of what a distro should look and function like. I enjoy seeing different implementations of docs and panels. In some cases, it inspires me to try different configurations on my daily drivers. BlendOS is Ruger's vision of a distro, and I wish him all the luck with his project. If BlendOS has piqued your interest, there's an excellent review by Jesse Smith on DistroWatch, linked in the show notes. He had considerably better luck than we did and disclosed an incredible amount of useful data. Let's move on to the reviews. For this episode, I'm reviewing Endless OS 5.0. This distro is fairly focused, being an educational distro with special uses in areas where internet is spotty or not available for whatever reason. It is Debian-based, and the team at Endless send a lot of work upstream. 
It has been stated that over 9% of new work on Debian is done by endless OS developers. By virtue of it needing to be used offline, the ISO is huge, around 31 gigabytes. I thought I'd give it a whirl this month. This is a brand new version, claiming full use of Wayland. My hardware? For this review, I used my Lenovo ThinkPad T540P, as I likely will be doing for some time to come. This computer has a 4th generation Intel Core i7-4710MQ chip, 16 gigs of RAM, and a 512 gigabyte silicon power SSD with both Intel HD Graphics 4600 and NVIDIA GeForce GT730M. I installed it using the entire disk, which I noticed also set aside a swap partition at the end of the disk. Installation ease and issues. I had no issues installing it. The installer was simple and straightforward. All the usual things happened in the usual way. This is basically Debian with a heavily modified GNOME, simplified but more for beginning users. Maybe not the latest, but newer than most. There is also a method to install directly to a USB flash drive, but you'd best at least buy a 64-gig stick because it takes 31 gigabytes just for the system and its files. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. The system is clean and nice, however, I found that I could not install FreeOffice or SoftMaker Office and could not determine why. Along the way, I also discovered there are no apt or dpackage command line tools, and you can't install GDebi. In terms of Office choices, parts of the system are locked, and while LibreOffice is included, your only other choices are WPS Office or using a browser-based Office package. Flatpak and Flathub are supported, although implementation still needs a bit of work, but it is the only way to get new software on this system. I have yet to run across issues where it is clearly using Wayland, but then if it's working smoothly, I probably shouldn't even notice. As I am not a gamer, I didn't run anything that needed my NVIDIA card, so I probably wouldn't have noticed anyhow. Ease of use. The system runs easily and has a lot of features built in, including several games which can be played offline and even a partial package of Wikipedia. There are massive amounts of educational software here, most of which can also be used offline, which explains the size of the ISO. I can't even find a support topic in print on installing NeoFetch in this distro, which is odd, but again, they're not supporting much use of the terminal in this distro. The desktop is GNOME 41, although it's highly themed and looks more like an oversized smartphone running OS X. This is an improvement on the version 4 interface, which looked more like it was done by a crazed Windows 7 user. Updates are handled by the Red Hat-developed OS Tree tool. In effect, it works a little like updating your smartphone. The distro periodically issues updated OS images, and your computer downloads the whole thing and applies it in a single step. This happens automatically in the background, and if everything else goes fine, it tells you an update is pending, and when you reboot, you get the new OS. If there's a problem, the computer can roll back to the older version, again, automatically. There are cautionary tales about what happens when an update partially installs and does not complete, but there appear to be adequate safeguards against this happening. Memory and disk use. I use 33.4 gigs of space on the SSD, and, however, only 804 megabytes of memory was reported by Free-HM. While this distro does take up a good bit of drive space, it does not use much memory due to a number of optimizations, and is known to run well on a Celeron 64-bit processor with only 2 gigs of RAM. This is also of benefit to low-income people. Ease of finding help. There is an online help center which looked really good. They just didn't have the answers to the questions I had to ask them. 
They also advertise help via email. Otherwise, they only have an IRC channel, which I find is not the most user-friendly of ways to chat with beginners. I have yet to experience a need for the available help except as already noted. Plays nice with others. I did not try to multiboot this system. However, previous attempts at installing Endless OS shows that it is very difficult to install unless it's the only distro on the system. There are instructions on how to dual boot it with Windows. Stability. Everything is Debian. Everything is sandboxed. Everything is secure. There should be zero stability issues, and I did not encounter any. Similar distros to check out. Nothing else has the depth of this distro, as indicated by a 31GB installation file, but a few distros are similar at their base, such as Debian Plasma or SolidX-K. My ratings, ease of installation from new user 9 out of 10, experienced user 10 out of 10. Hardware issues 10 out of 10, ease of finding help in the community and web 8 out of 10. Ease of use 10 out of 10, plays nice with others 5 out of 10, stability 10 out of 10. This may be a little high, but I gave it a 9 out of 10 overall. It does what it's supposed to do better than anything else. I'm just not the typical audience for this. Final comments. This distro is great if you're anything close to the intended demographic. If you have children and if you have problems or expenses in connecting to the internet, you get almost everything you need and rarely have to look for help. There really is no other distro for this audience, and Endless did a great job structurally and visually. They do appear to be hewing too strictly to the only FOSS creed for my taste. But if LibreOffice is all you need for an Office package, and probably more than 95% of Linux users fit that demographic, this could be all the distro you need. It's slick, easy to use, stable, and safe. It really feels like I would need to use this as my sole distro for at least three months to get a complete feel for the system. But not being the target audience, I won't be trying that soon. Any comments, Dale? Yes. Uh... I think this is probably one of the uh, best uses for the immutable system and the container system that seems to be trending nowadays, because if you do give this to a person that has no internet access and something happens to it, being able to roll back is a really good idea. But I'm not really a fan of this whole immutability container type systems. Well, again, it's great if you have kids that are using your computer. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, rolling back. Oh, yeah, because I know my my cousin, when I visited him like a month or so ago, I asked him how his computer was going, and he says, you know what, Dale? Ever since the kids moved out, our problems went away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to Dale's review. PC Linux OS has a long history, so I will shorten it a bit. PC Linux OS is also referred to as PC LOS. Bill Reynolds, aka Techstar, was a user of Mandrake Linux, which was based on Red Hat 5.1 in 1998. Mandrake used the K desktop environment from the KDE project, also known as KDE2. In 2000, he created some RPM packages for use on Mandrake to improve upon. He maintained the repo of these packages along with his PC Linux online website until October of 2003. Bill then decided to make a snapshot of Mandrake Linux 9.2, working with the live CD project to fork it. The new distro's name was taken from his website and called PC Linux OS. 
he continued developing into 2006. During that time, Mandrake merged with Connectiva in 2005. They were a Brazilian-based company that maintained a Linux distro for the Brazilian and Latin America. The combined company was renamed Mandriva, and Mandrake was renamed to Mandriva Linux. This name change was due to a previous lawsuit against Mandrake Soft, the creator of Mandrake Linux. The plaintiff, Hearst Corporation, owners of King Features Syndicate, claimed the name Mandrake infringed upon their newspaper comic strip character, Mandrake the Magician. Mandrake Soft took the opportunity to distance itself by using the name of the combined company names. Late in 2006, Bill took one last snapshot of Mandriva to create the new code base for PCLOS. Going forward, it would no longer be a fork of Mandriva. This new independent base of PCLOS was released in May of 2007. In the following years, they added the GNOME Desktop, XFCE, LXDE, Enlightenment, and Openbox. When KDE released Plasma, which was a big design update for the K desktop environment, they switched to it. In 2016, they stopped at the development of their 32-bit edition, so going forward, it will only be 64-bit. PCLOS has been actively maintained since its inception. It currently offers KDE Plasma, KDE Plasma Darkstar, Mate, and the XFC desktops. Community-maintained ISOs are LXQT and Trinity Desktop Environment, a fork of KDE version 3.5. KDE Darkstar is a minimal install of Plasma. PCLOS uses a rolling release model. I will be reviewing the KDE Plasma edition. This distro is of particular interest to me. A co-worker in 1998 told me about Mandrake as I was using Red Hat 5. Once I installed Mandrake, I was blown away by what it could do. It was then I thought Linux could be a usable replacement for Windows. My hardware. The laptop I used is my Lenovo ThinkPad T460. It has an Intel dual-core i5-6200U. 2.8 GHz CPU, a 14-inch display using Intel HD Graphics 520, 16 GB of DDR3 RAM, and a 500 GB Samsung EVO SSD. Installation ease and issues. The grip screen had the PC Linux OS name in the upper left-hand corner. The background was blue at the bottom and faded to black towards the top of the screen. The image looks similar to a sunrise. The boot options were live, live, no boot splash, live, video no mode setting, live, safe mode, live, copy to RAM, and install PC Linux OS. Upon using the install PC Linux OS option, PC Linux OS uses its own installer. It began asking questions about my keyboard language Clicking next showed a window of, this is the installation wizard. Click next to continue. The disk partitioning was the following screen. It had the options of using the existing partitions, erase the disk, and custom. Since I was checking out Fedora Rawhide, I wanted a dual boot, so I selected custom. 
I clicked on the root partition of Fedora and clicked resize. I was shown a bunch of errors in a window that popped up. I was thinking it was possibly the ButterFS that Fedora was using. I closed the window and clicked cancel. I returned to the partitioning screen. I tried again and it allowed me to resize it using half the drive using ext4. Oddly, it created a 7.8 gigabyte root partition with the remaining split of the drive space empty. I clicked on the new root partition and clicked resize, then I was able to use the remaining space. I clicked next and was informed that the partition would be formatted. Following that was the installation process. The next screen was the bootloader selection and location. The options were Grub2 with a graphical menu or a text menu, with the other option EFI, which oddly was the only option. I guess that was a hold off from when they had 32-bit. There was an entry box to enter the timeout before loading the default choice. It defaulted to 10 seconds. The advanced options were already checked were Enable ACPI, SMP, APIC, and local APIC. The last screen allowed selecting which OS was the default. It automatically selected PC Linux OS with other options of recovery mode for PC Linux OS. Oddly, Fedora Rawhide wasn't listed. A checkbox was checked for Probe Foreign OS, which should have seen Fedora Rawhide. The advanced option was a display mode for Grub2, which was at 800 by 600. I clicked finish to install the bootloader. A final screen reported the installation was complete. Click finish to reboot. There was a reminder to remove the USB stick, and if you don't remove it, it will ask you to. On the first boot, it appeared like I was in the installation again. I was asked what language I wanted and was followed by my time zone selection. An additional question of if I wanted to use local time or UTC, and if I wanted to use an NTP server to automatically set my time. The NTP server option were to select countries server to use. The next screen was the option to set a root password and create my user account. Finally, after all that, I was booted into the newly installed system. I wasn't sure if Fedora Rawhide not being detected was a PC LOS problem or a Fedora Rawhide problem, because after all, Rawhide is their testing branch of Fedora. To roll it out, I wiped the drive and installed Partis Linux. I just happened to have that stick or that ISO on my hard drive, so I just used it. It is a Debian base, so it should be compatible. Sure enough, the resize in the partition went as expected after installing PCLOS. It saw Partis as one of the OS options it could boot to by default. So there must be an issue with PCLOS resizing ButterFS formatted partitions. I will try installing Fedora Raya again using ext4 to see if that was the issue. And I never got around to doing that. So, we'll just leave that enigma wrapped in a puzzle. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. I noticed that the volume control in the system tray was disabled. I clicked on it to find the audio device wasn't detected. I closed the window and went searching. 
I found a configuration menu with a configure your computer application. Once opened, it identified as the control center. I saw the hardware menu and found the sound configuration. The checkbox for enabling pulse audio wasn't checked. I clicked the box to enable it. I looked down at the volume control and it was no longer disabled. I was able to hear the pop noise as I raised and lowered the volume. The next issue that needed attention was the fact that the LCD was at 1024 by 768, 256 color. My first thought was, hello, the 1990s are calling and they want their Super VGA graphics back. I went to the control center once again under the hardware menu. I saw set up the graphical server. It had a list of video drivers and defaulted on the 810 and later Intel chipset from decades past. This list of graphics drivers was a walk down memory lane. I saw vendors I haven't seen in 20 years or more, like Cirrus Logic, S3, and Trident. After scrolling through the list, there was an Xorg menu, and inside was a list of more drivers. I clicked on the one labeled Intel, followed by instructions to reboot to load the driver. Once rebooted, I could tell by the login screen that I was at 1920 by 1080. I did confirm that it was using the plasma display settings. And since I was in the display configuration, I took a look around. One thing that caught my eye was that the compositing was not enabled. I could understand this not being enabled because it is a very demanding on the graphics cards with low memory and no 3D acceleration. Despite PCOS using 64-bit, they still have support for older hardware. ThinkPads use a mouse pointer called TrackPoint, which is a little red nub in the center of the keyboard between the G, H, and the B keys, with three buttons below the spacebar. In order to scroll like you would with a scroll wheel on a standard mouse, on the TrackPoint, you would hold down the middle button and use the red nub to scroll up and down. I noticed that I couldn't use the middle uh, mouse button for scrolling. I also wanted to disable the touchpad. I find that the palm detection and disable while typing don't always work correctly. The synaptic driver they are using doesn't have the checkbox to disable the touchpad, so I created a keyboard shortcut Alt and the letter T to disable the touchpad. I just needed to remember to type Alt T every time I logged in. I also noticed that the option to enable the middle button scrolling was missing as well. I opened the terminal and looked at the slash etc slash capital X11 slash xorg.com file. It didn't have mouse defined among others. I opened another login session via Control alt f1 and logged in as root. There I found out not entering the password for root during the installation doesn't enable sudo. This is a big security risk as anyone can gain root access. Setting the root password is simple. Type passwd, then enter the password, then enter it again, and you're done. This can also be done in the GUI. To perform root activities, use the su command instead of sudo. Typing sudo and the dash 
symbol will read in the root accounts path, um, the path settings. The dash tells SU to treat this as if the root user signed in the computer at boot. The sudo command can be installed and configured if you desire, though there is a quote from their welcome message in their forum about why sudo isn't installed. Quote, we do not believe that popular usage of sudo is in line with good security practice. We do not advocate it nor support its use within the forum. You may well like using it. That is a personal choice that you have chosen for yourself. End quote. As an old school Linux user, I agree with that statement. I use sudo because it became a habit when I was using Ubuntu 10.04 through 12.04. Debian eventually started using sudo as well. I use SU if I'm doing a lot of activities requiring uh, root-level access. I found it annoying needing to type sudo in front of all the commands, because I type the command and forget sudo and then have to type it again. Because back then, I didn't know about doing the uh, bang-bang, the two exclamation points. In order to generate a new xorg.conf file, xorg needs to be closed. I couldn't find it listed as a service, so I did the less graceful option of searching for the process ID using ps space aux. Then I typed kill space hyphen 9 and the number of the process ID for each one. I was a little out of practice using sysvinit as pclos doesn't use systemd. So using kill is a second easy option. I backed up the current xorg.conf by copying it to xorg.conf-old. To generate the new config file, I typed capital X lowercase org space hyphen configure. If you ever try this, make sure that you are in the slash etc slash capital X 11 folder. I edited the file in Joe, my favorite terminal-based text editor and added the following. It is too long and complicated to read. It will be listed in the show notes. I needed to know the path in the slash dev folder for the driver that the TrackPoint device was using. To do that, I need to install the lib input package. It is a library and utility for input devices like your keyboard and mouse. Once installed, I type lib input list hyphen devices and looked for ones labeled TrackPoint. The Arch Wiki and the XOR documentation were very helpful in completing these tasks. PC Linux OS is using Plasma version 5.27.2, Frameworks 5.103.0, and Qt 5.15.6 using X11, which is commonly referred to as XORG. They are using kernel 5.18.11 and the distro is 64-bit only. They have support for NVIDIA graphics card, but I wasn't able to test that being Intel only. For the menu, they are using the application style, which is similar to Windows Vista. Next to the application menu are the Dolphin File Manager, KDE System Settings, Control Center, Synaptic Package Manager, and KDE Terminal called console. The system tray has notifications, a clipboard, sound, removable devices, display, 
display configuration, Wi-Fi, and the clock with a calendar. No plasmoids were active, which are called applets in other desktop environments. A dolphin icon was in the upper left-hand corner of the desktop. For those of you that like a uh, wallpaper selection, there is only one. A blue uh, wave slash ribbon with a lens flare effect. I opted to use one from Digital Blasphemy. I will include a link to his website. I've been a fan of Ryan Bliss's work for 25 years. I posted the screenshot to our Telegram channel. No relation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I never realized that. <laughs> it never occurred to me. That's funny. Or I probably am a relation. I just am not aware of the relation. There is quite a selection of default applications and utilities installed. So I'm going to mention the ones you don't see very often except for the versions of commonly used applications. Even the list of uncommonly installed default applications will need to be an abbreviated list. Firefox is version 110.0.1. LibreOffice is version 7.3.2.2, which is the full install of the suite of applications. Telegram is version 4.6.5. Now on to the list, common applications. Handbrake is version 1.6.1. Cadent Live is version 22.12.2. Spotify is 1.1.56.595-1. Krita is 5.1.5. Bleachbit is 4.4.2-4. And Timeshift is 22.06.6. A script to install VirtualBox and the guest editions were in the application menu. It was version 7.06-1. A big surprise was Zoom 5.13.10. I was able to install Signal Messenger 6.8.0 from PCLOS's repo. These are applications you normally need to install with Snap or Flatpak. Speaking of such, neither of those is installed by default. Flatpak is available in their repo, but Snap is not. I tried using Flatpak even though I didn't need to. It didn't go well with many errors involving fuse mounts. I never could get anything to install. I looked at their forum and it appears others have the same issue. Some have resolved the problems only to have it break when Flatpak is updated or a dependency is updated. I read a comment by Bill Reynolds, the maintainer of PCLOS. He said there are issues with OS tree and some dependencies on systemd. PCLOS uses sysvinit, which is the init system originally developed for use on Unix System 5, which is where the nickname came from. So if you don't like systemd, this is another distro for you to consider. There isn't an update notification installed by default, so you will have two choices. Check for the updates manually, or install an update hyphen notifier. If you choose to use the update hyphen notifier, it will automatically start with Plasma. If you are using something else, you'll need to manually set it to start up automatically. To manually check for updates using Synaptic, click refresh then mark upgrades followed by apply. In the terminal they use a package manager called app-rpm from the Connectiva Linux project. It is based on apt from the Debian project. It was ported by Alfredo 
Kohima, and improved by Gustav Nehemiah. The most common commands are the same. To search, you need to use app-cache search, followed by your search term. Updating is the same. apt-update, apt-upgrade. Other features like app-auto-remove are not available. This is a bit unusual considering PC LOS uses RPM packages. It does, however, make it easy to use a GUI package management app like Synaptic. There are two active distros using it as far as I know, PC LOS and Alt Linux. I think the utilities they include make them stand out from other distros. I previously mentioned the control center, referred to as configure your computer in the application menu. Here are some other features. They have something similar to the device manager in Windows called Browse and Configure Hardware. You can configure the keyboard and mouse. Unfortunately, it didn't help with my track point. There is a printer, scanner, monitor app for a UPS, which is a battery backup for computers. Managing fonts and importing Windows fonts. The usual date, time, user management, drive management, and open a terminal console as root. One that I thought was interesting was import Windows documents and settings. The boot management was helpful. I updated the Pardis installation and it reclaimed control of the boot, Grubboot. I used PCLOS setup boot system, so PCLOS would reclaim control. It is the same utility that was used during the installation. Another utility I found useful was the setup display manager. I often mention that distros don't take advantage of the features and themes of the uh, display managers. Well, not PC LOS. They customized GDM, the uh, GNOME display manager, to where it didn't even look like GDM. I didn't care for it and used the setup, the display manager utility to switch to SDDM, simple desktop display manager, which is what Plasma uses by default. The other features of the control center are typically for server use, which is configuring a firewall, FTP, web, DHCP, DNS, proxy, NNTP, and open SSH servers. These utilities keep you from having to manually edit config files where the syntax is particular in some cases. For example, one typo in the XORG or the display manager config file, and it will not load dumping you to the terminal. In some cases, you will need to still edit them manually for any options not found in the GUI application. If you can't find some setting in the control center, they will probably be listed in the KDE system settings. Ease of use. Once I had everything configured the way I wanted, I got along pretty well with PCLOS. Usually Plasma annoys me in some way. I used it for many years off and on, switching to XFCE when I had too many annoyances. I must say with Plasma 5.27, they have made a noticeable improvements. This is the first Plasma version where I didn't have any previous annoyances, though I did have to disable the screen edge options. I don't like having my windows resize when I get too close to the top edge of the screen. The ability to install everything I used via the repo was great. I like Flatpak due to the convenience of having access to packages that are not native to a distro. 
However, I prefer installing everything from the repo so that everything is updated at one time, so not needing to install Flatpak was a definite plus. I was able to set Signal Messenger to minimize to the system tray. Plasma makes this easy by right-clicking on Signal Messenger in the Application menu and selecting Edit Application. I added the hyphen use hyphen tray hyphen icon option to the argument fields under the application tab. Memory and disk use. 11 gigabytes of space was used on the SSD using the du-h command. 471 megabytes of memory was reported by free-hm, which I thought was a respectable low number, especially for Plasma. Ease of finding help. They have an active forum, a very nice knowledge base, and a wiki. According to their website, they have an IRC channel on Freenode. Many of the posts in the forums were recent as of the same day or a few days before. Looks like a lot of helpful people are available from what I've seen. I created an account in their web-based forums and wrote a message in their Welcome Center forum which is used to uh, welcome new forum members. I had about a dozen or so responses. One feature that makes PC LOS unique is they publish a magazine called the PC Linux OS Magazine. It was started in September of 2006 and is published monthly. They mention only missing a few months in 2009. Their tagline is, quote, of the community, by the community, for the community, end quote. It is independently produced by the community members slash users of PCLOS. The magazine contains user-submitted stories, how-tos, and other articles about PCLOS. The purpose is to promote PCLOS and related websites. PC Linux OS and its developers are in no way responsible for the magazine or website. Plays nice with others. If you are not using ButterFS file system or Arch or an Arch-based distro, you shouldn't have any problems dual booting. If you don't see your other distro listed during installation, you will know when you select which distro is defaulted boot up. Stability. I haven't had any crashes or lockups. Similar distros to check out. Nangia, OpenMindriva, and Rosa. Ratings. Ease of installation for a new user, 6 out of 10. An experienced user, 9 out of 10. Hardware issues, 7 out of 10. Ease of finding help community and web, 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 9 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 8 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. And my overall rating is 8 out of 10. So for my final comments, the installation for a new user is 6 because it is mostly clicking without knowing the too many specifics. Where it could get a little complicated if you were to dual boot, then I would say it would be closer to a 3. The hardware would have been a 10 except for the graphics and the track point issues. I think if you had a regular mouse you would be fine. I was concerned with the graphics however. You can't get much more compatible than a T-Series ThinkPad using Intel graphics. The ease of use was a 9, largely due to KDE's uh, improvements to Plasma. For a new user, 
It could be a 7 or 8. It can be a little tedious and overwhelming due to the number of settings Plasma has. Plays nice with others, as I previously mentioned in my experience. If you stick to EXT4 and Debian or Ubuntu-based distros, you should be fine. I have discussed this with Moss since we both have our experiences with it. This is why I suggest that a rating could be as low as 3. Using PCLOS brought back good memories of using Mandrake and Mandriva. Distros like PCLOS and Partis show how great a user experience can be when popular applications are available without the need to install and enable additional features to install them. Is there anything you would like to add, Moss? Well, I have had trouble using PCLOS on a multi-boot system. Some of that is because it does use SysV init and uh, non-standard uh, boot systems. When it works, it's a joy, and I have not determined the factors to it working or not. But let's move on to new releases. New releases this month from February 9th to March 22nd. Univention 5.0-3, Alpine 3.17.2, Puppy 22.12 plus 3, Parrot 5.2, Freespire 9 Gnome, Midnight BSD 2.2.6, Gnopix 23.2.15, KOS 2023.02, SmartOS 2023.0214, Artix 2023-0215, Tails 5.10, Clonezilla 3.0.3-22, Athena 2023.02.20, Alt 10.1 Server, SmartOS 2023-0223, Ubuntu 22.04.2 All Flavors, Clear 37980, Redcore 2301-Tuxedo 2-20230223, Slackle 7.5 Live, Zevnet 5.13.0, Maybox 23.02, EasyOS 5.0, IPFire 2.27-Core173, Emabuntu's DE4-1.03, Arco Linux 23.03.01, OpenMamba 2023.03.01, Gnopix 23.3, Armbian 23.02.2, Nutix 23.02.1, Arch 2023.03.01, TrueNAS 13.0-U4 Core, Archman 2023.03.04, RoboLinux 12.10, Garuda 23.03.05, RescueZilla 2.4.2, LibreAlac 11.0.0, OpenMamba 2023.03.06, Sparky Linux 2023.03, SmartOS 2023.0309, Artix 2023.0306, Seduction 22.1.1, Gparted 1.5.0-2, Hello System 0.8.1, Endeavor OS 03-2023, Zevnet 5.13.1, Kali 2023.1, Regatta 22.1.3, Cubes 4.1.2, Seduction 22.1.2, Snell 1.26, Manjaro 22.0.5, Xero Linux 
Hunix 16.0.9.8, System Rescue 10.00, Cache OS 230319, KDE Neon 2023-0320, Tails 5.11, Tresquel 11.0, Blue Star 6.2.7, and Archman 2023-0321. Feedback. I haven't seen anything in the email or the Telegram group lately. While we have had some good interactions in Telegram, I didn't see anything which counted as feedback. We'd love to talk about other people talking about us, so send us your comments. Besides our personal emails, which we will be giving out shortly, you can write to us at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. Announcements. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group or our Discord channel. Josh can be found at Josh on Tech on most social networks or email him at joshontech at pm.me. He can also be heard on Crowbar Kernel Panic podcast. Dale? I'm at Dale underscore CDL on Telegram and Discord. My email is Dale underscore CDL at pm.me. And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me. And I'm on Mastodon as at zyvola at hosthux.social. Plus, you can find me, Dale, and Dylan at itsmoss.com. Before we go, we would like to thank all those who make this project possible. Archive.org for storing and helping distribute this program. Audacity, which we use to record and edit the show. Tony Hughes for managing the website and producing and editing the podcast. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Turvals for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkits, and all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source slash Libre software. We will be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. <music>